Battleborn Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on this Wednesday. Much to get to. Three hours in the books. Fourth on the way. We've barely gotten anything. We got NBA. We got shocking retirements. Uh, Coach K and also uh, Danny Ainge to get to. We'll find out what Adam Hill saw today at Raiders OTAs. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Adam Hill is here. What's up, buddy? Not much. How are you doing today? Uh, solid. Solid. Good. Very Good. solid. All right, we start out. Goofy note. I saw Ari and uh, Magnum, uh, wealthiest board op I've ever known, um, <laughs> who's been to the... I almost said the Orient. That's not the proper terminology anymore. Uh, who's been to Southeast Asia many times to Japan. Uh, I don't know if he's seen this one before, but we'll tweet this picture out. I saw something pretty ingenious in Japan. Apparently a combo sink toilet. What do you think of this? Could you do a full bathroom in your house without the proper sink and just have the sink basically is on the bowl of the toilet. So you couldn't do upper deckers. Um, and sure. then you got the toilet. It's supposed to be very efficient. For water use and in vegas we're always looking to solve this grand mystery of having no water yeah so what it does it, if you're having a hard time picturing it as you said the the sink is kind of on the top of the bowl uh the, the tank i guess you would say uh, on the back so it's a, it's a weird little setup and it's it's definitely something to adjust to but the efficiency would be that whatever water you use from the sink goes down the drain and is then used in the toilet so it kind of recycles the water from the sink to the toilet, and then that's what you flush. So it makes some sense. Um, I don't love it, certainly. Uh, it would definitely take a lot of adjustment. But I would say, like, I could absolutely be talked into it if I'm convinced that the uh, that the recycled water is actually worth it. Like that it that it actually does conserve some energy, conserve some water. I kind of like that part of it. I think you could adjust to this from that regard. Now the what becomes difficult is, like, I don't, I don't know where you are with the, you know, with the brushing your teeth. Like a lot of people go in the shower. I, that's not me. I'll definitely brush the teeth at the sink. So I have a hard time maybe standing over the toilet brushing your teeth. Yeah, that could be tough. Which is where this comes into play. But certainly, like a, you know, like a foyer bathroom. You know, the, the, like the downstairs bathroom. Sure, you could go with this. The the bedroom bathroom. Man, there's too. I think there's too many things. You're you're shaving there. You're brushing your teeth there. You're doing all that. That becomes a little bit more tricky, I think. Do you feel like if you had the combo toilet sink, do you feel like you'd need to use the other part of like the half bath or something else? Do you do you put in some other apparatus, or you just go with a very free flowing open bathroom? Well, I guess you could go bidet if you want to. Do you? Um, go, here's here's the question though: In a shared bathroom that guests will use, do you treat them to the bidet? That's a good point. Because my first thought when you said like, do you use the rest of the bathroom? Like, I think you put a little like closet in there. Just use that space as like an extra closet. Then you can get out of the shower, get dressed from the closet right there in the bathroom. Nice. But you're right. If if you're talking shared bathroom, like like in the downstairs part of your house. That becomes a little bit more difficult. I, you know, obviously, you don't want to 
have a shower, have a, have a closet in there if it's where people are going. But then, yeah, you're right. You don't want the if you have a bidet, you don't want the guest to have that luxury. <sighs> it becomes tough. Like, what do you do with that space? Because obviously, you're gonna have a lot of extra space in your bathroom now if you're combining the sink and the toilet. Um, but if you can't make efficient use of that space, then I guess what's the point? Number four. With a game six on the way involving our local major league team, one of two of them in the market. Three, aces two. Um, yes. Bidet, combo, toilet, sink talk on Kofi and the company. It's typical. It's typical. Serious question here, though. Last night I saw uh, Charles Barkley trying to give the nickname of street clothes to Anthony Davis. Hey, Anthony Davis has an injury. Uh, we're now talking about this whole mental health thing and showing more respect towards athletes and their injuries. Uh, by the way, not only was Charles Barkley calling Anthony Davis street clothes, but Dr. Dre was there chuckling about it. Uh, sure. By the way, Mr. Triple Single has missed 29 games the last two seasons. I know he's your guy on the We Believe Warriors, but dude, pipe down. I actually had some moron who was on the show earlier actually say that uh, or suggest that Draymond Green is a better player, is more valuable, is more reliable, maybe he was saying, than Anthony Davis. Okay. Uh, but serious question. Should broadcasters, especially the players, the former players who are the ones who are coming at the traditional media all the time about us dissing players, this is cool, this is just all in good fun, now in an era of mental health concerns – Though we call Anthony Davis with a groin injury, street clothes? I feel like there was like nine things there that you... I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that was rough. Um, I mean, on the on the Draymond Green being the commentator, like it's the good and the bad of having current players there. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's cool because you see their perspective and they have a different sort of relationship uh, with players than even, for, than even former players do. Uh, so I think that's that's cool in some ways. And I actually thought Draymond was really good uh, as a broadcaster. It was kind of weird. I, I didn't expect it. I thought he was pretty good uh, doing it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to. If you're going to do it, you have to criticize guys and you have to be open to, to take shots at guys. And I think what Draymond would say is, yeah, I can take shots. You can't. I'm a player. I'm there. I've done it. Now, he's wrong about that. But I think that's what, that's how he would justify the, hey, I'm taking shots at guys and you shouldn't angle of that whole thing. Uh, but in terms of the, of the mental health, man, the, the crossover between mental health and physical health and, you know, criticizing players who are hurt and whether it's their mental strength, that's actually damaged or their physical strength. It's such a, it's such a difficult area. Um, I just, it's one that, especially on the mental health side is, is very uncomfortable because you talk about everybody having an opinion on Naomi Osaka. And, and that's what we've been kind of going through the last couple of days in terms of the mental health side. Like, I think you can have an opinion on her and her decisions to speak to the media, but having an opinion on whether or not she does suffer from any mental health issues is, is such a personal thing. I, I think that becomes that becomes tricky. And I think it's going to be the case in a lot of these different areas. Like I said yesterday, I am very concerned about people playing the mental health card that don't actually suffer from anything. I think that is a that is an issue if you really start to try to take care of people's mental health, which is very important. And some people are in a bad spot. And, and it's, a like I said, a very personal issue to me. But man, you start like, you start questioning whether or not people do suffer from it. It's tough. But you you really don't want people to just do it and, and try to 
you know, play it off like they they are suffering when they are not. When there's so many people that really are going through something, you're minimizing what people are actually going through. So yeah, I think this is a, a weird topic to go after guys that are hurt and whether it's just their, you know, are you hurt mentally and you're just too too weak emotionally and and uh, with your mind to play, or is it a real injury? Man, you're start you're getting into a rough area with some of that. Number three. Holy moly, no one's making fun of this guy. Although uh, Coach Joe got on him earlier. Maybe not on him. He was just saying uh, all the celebrating of Dame Lillard and his 55. What's the point? He lost. Stephen A. Smith was extremely frustrated this morning and going after uh, Dame's teammates. That was an incredible performance, but in the end, it was an L, and he was let down. Fire away, SAS. I mean, this brother just brings you back, just keeps coming. He's just a sniper extraordinaire, the likes of which we haven't seen this side of Steph Curry, okay? And when you talk about clutch, you bring up Michael Jordan and the rest of the crew because he's right there when it comes to clutch, okay? He gives the ball to C.J. McCollum. But you C.J. McCollum and you a veteran who plays on this basketball court all the time and you step out of bounds with the game on the line. Yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a total nightmare. And I don't want to sit here and crush C.J. McCollum, but, I mean, that moment to make that mistake – and the numbers, Adam, were just ridiculous between Lillard, the split between he and his teammates. I mean, come on. Overtime, two overtimes, he scores 17 points. The rest of the team scores two. In the overtimes, six of eight from the floor. The rest of the Blazers, you're like, oh, maybe they didn't get opportunities. They were one of 19 in two overtimes. What a freaking disaster. By the way, if I want to go sort of uh, – critical on this you know we rip well we don't uh but many people will get on uh ring chasers like barkley who chase rings uh will get on ring chasers you know the guys who are moving from power team to power team is it actually a negative that lillard's just like eh, i'm cool in portland are you i mean I, again you can look at it both ways i i think he's trying like he thinks he has enough guys around him and, and as they continue to try to make tweaks here and there to the roster like I think he believes himself with McCollum and some of the other pieces could win if things broke right I thought there was a chance they could break right last year uh, and that they could win so I, I think he does believe that they can win a title there um, and especially the way he keeps playing and he keeps setting this foundation I think he, he believes guys will come play with him and lead them to a title and how much more special it would be in that case so I'm not going to fall to it. It's not like they're finishing last every year and have zero chance. Like They're always kind of on the outside of the mix. Uh, so I, I do think he, he believes he can win there. So I'm, I'll, I'll excuse that. Um, but yeah, I think part of the greatness of him is kind of overlooked because you know they have fallen short and they haven't made it you know these deep runs before. But he's a truly incredible player. I, I do think, however, when you talk about some of the teammates, like there's a tendency. And even though you said they got a lot of shots, they just didn't make them in the overtime sessions, I think watching that team, like you're kind of thrown off when you actually take a shot. You're like, why am I taking the shot? Like that guy's making everything. And you start to get in a, in a, you know, ball watching mode of, Hey, let's see what he's going to do with it. And when you actually get your turn, you're not ready for it. And then, you know, there's a, that's a problem. You, you can't be like that, but it's only natural to think like, Hey, why is this guy going to pass the ball when he's just making 40 footers? Like just keep shooting. 
Top two stories coming up, including Danny Ainge on his way out. Shocked a lot of people today, but, you know, Celtics fans, you did it to yourself. Uh, You guys were ripping Danny Ainge for not winning enough for your liking. 15 of 18 playoff appearances, and um, he's a guy who faced a lot of challenges, and a lot of those challenges were set up by the fans in Boston and the history of Boston. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. What if we come to y'all job and heckle y'all? What if we come to y'all and spit on y'all, pour drinks as, uh, on y'all as y'all going back and forth to the fax machine or to the bathroom? You know, y'all wouldn't like that then. This is our job. So we understand that each fan is, is very passionate about their team. But don't cross the line, yo. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Rasheed Wallace, former NBA player with the uh, having the backs of the current players. Because, uh, yeah, in places like Boston, it's completely out of control. Philly, New York, you had a guy, um, guy spit on Trey Young. You had an issue in D.C., it's pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of Northeast Corridor, and of course, there's uh, Utah, uh, who potentially have the worst fans out there. Uh, let's finish off the Big Five. Number two. Thank you. Adam, were you surprised that Danny Ainge walked from the Celtics? And then we saw reports that at one point this season, there was someone in the organization who wanted to fire Brad Stevens, but Ainge stepped up, saved him, and now Ainge retires and... Stevens moves off the bench and will take over basketball operations at like 14 years old. This is bizarre. It, it is really strange, although I kind of feel like something else we're going to talk about in a little bit has something to do with it at least, uh, with, with as far as Stevens goes. Uh, but, yeah, this is, it's, it's a weird thing, especially because we've talked for so long about how good Brad Stevens is uh, at his job and how impressive he's been and how Danny Ainge – did a great job stockpiling a lot of draft picks and to set them up to have some success in the future. Now, I guess the issue is they've had all these picks, but what good has it done them? They haven't turned them into superstar players necessarily. They got a couple of really good players, but they seem to be never at full strength and hurt all the time. And it just hasn't quite worked out for them. So I think a couple of factors just kind of, kind of got unlucky in going against the Celtics. And uh, I think Ainge at times, you know, was too much thinking about the future. Uh, perhaps in not realizing that the president is here, uh, but yeah, this is kind of a it's kind of a weird situation because I I think while the expectations have been incredibly raised, like it's not like they've been a disaster, like they've been good, just not good enough to live up to the expectations that they set. Number one, top story: the Lakers. We were just busting uh, Caleb Herring's chops a little while ago. Oh, boy. So what do you think, Adam? What do you think of last night? I did not expect that from LeBron. Such a meek effort. And, you know, his numbers were okay. But the second quarter sucked. The rest of the team was terrible. AD was just a is a bad look. I'm not going to question the severity of his injury. I, I kind of believe the Lakers looked at last night's game like, eh, you know, it's a long shot that we win it, so let's just pack it in and, uh, you know, we'll just go to game six and seven and we'll take care of those. Really dangerous with an older team, and especially one that is led by LeBron but has to have Anthony Davis, who's kind of brittle. They have to happen to win it. So now it's just like, oh, we'll just take care of business in six and seven. No problem. Really? No problem? 
I mean, of course it's dangerous. <laughs> you said it's incredibly dangerous. Like you, even at full strength, like you're not that much better than the Suns. You can guarantee you'd win, even if everybody's ready to go. So yeah, it's dangerous. And what if AD can't play in Game Six? Then you're you're fighting an uphill battle no matter what. So you can't just throw games away. Now you said you you know you didn't see it coming or weren't so, you were surprised by it. Yeah, the outcome or the margin for sure. The fact that they were never in the game for sure. But what did we say yesterday? Like the game, what happens on the court has no bearing on the outcome of the game. Whether Anthony Davis plays is all that matters in this game. And once he didn't play, they were going to lose. But that's not acceptable to lose that badly, to never be in the game, to never have a chance. Like if they are going to win, like say AD comes back, say they win game six and seven, and that that's all well and good and they can move on and, you know, pursue a championship like they planned to do. Like those things are all great. But at some point, you need that supporting cast to step up, whether AD and LeBron are playing or not. And the fact that nobody was able to rise to the occasion, nobody was able to be a running mate, yeah. like that's a scary thought, no matter no matter you know if the Lakers are able to recover and, and get out of this round or not. Then one of your chief tormentors is freaking Devin Booker, who, you know, I guess you can lean on the excuse in the 2015 draft. Well, look at all the all the teams in the top ten passed on Devin Booker. Well, the Suns didn't. They got him at 13. You got D'Angelo Russell, who, eh, you know, D'Angelo Russell is a losing team player. Um, you know, the Warriors got to look at him. They're like, nah, nah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on this for the very questionable Wiggins. So now you got Booker as a tormentor, you know, and Booker's, what, 19? Seems like he's been in the NBA forever. He's still a, a freaking young guy. And, I mean, do we even know? Is, is AD guaranteed to play in game six? No, of course not. Right? And that, that's the disaster. And the other one is, does he get through game six? Is he out there limping around? Which, by the way, has become the story in the NBA with some of the favorites to make the finals and win the title because the Sixers situation ain't good. Joel Embiid is not playing in today's game. He's got a, t- a tear in his knee, which they're going to try to manage through therapy. But, like, how much risk are they putting him at? And does he make it through the playoffs? Yeah, all, all those are legitimate and, and excellent questions. And when you talk about AD, like, can he get through game six? Let's say he can. What level is he playing at? Like, what at what percentage is he playing, even if, it, if, he, if he is able to make it through the game? So you can't just throw away games in a series like that, for sure, especially a 2-2 series uh, that's tied, uh, and just count on, you know, a guy like AD being back and ready to lead you. Like, you need both AD and LeBron at well. I guess LeBron said he'll never be 100%. So you need them both at 98% uh, and, and able to, in order to potentially move on in this series. Like, that's what you've constructed. You've constructed a team where if one of those guys is out, you almost have no chance to win a game, or, or in the playoffs at least. I mean, they've won some in the regular season. But in the playoffs, you need all hands on deck and everybody operating at, at as close to 100% as possible if you're going to construct a team this way. And you know, when you when you do and you've only got two guys and a bunch of supporting cast guys, both of them have to have to be peaking and playing at a super high level. And that's just not the case. And I don't think they can count on that being the case in game six, regardless of AD plays or not. On the Sixers story, uh, Tobias Harris, 16 points in the first half. Sixers actually lead the Wiz 63 to 65. Washington's gotten 35 combined from Beal and Westbrook, but they're still down two at the half the uh, Knicks situation Knicks are down just two seven minutes left in the first half it's 31 29 the Hawks are on top all right we turn our attention back to the Raiders and camp today and 
the Golden Knights, about 90 minutes away from the puck drop uh, in Denver, and Adam's take on how the Golden Knights can turn this series around after what just looked like absolute devastation in game one. The Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. Hanging at the Battle Born Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is here. We wrap it up, Adam. You know this at 6 o'clock and then definitely flip it over. Hell, flip it over now. Best hockey coverage uh, on our group is over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan, the hockey guy, is live at the Orleans inside Bailiwick. So listen to the pregame leading up to the game. Adam knows his stuff. Adam's on the beat, although, uh, you know, he's on lots of beats now. We'll get to the Raiders here in a couple of minutes. All right, Adam, let's examine what's in front of the Golden Knights here. Uh, I don't think it should be described as incredibly daunting because they played during the regular season and it wasn't like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Golden Knights, you know, went out there and just got freaking smashed in every single game. What do they have to get back to to make this competitive and get back in the series and avoid a repeat of that disastrous game one? Well, I mean, a couple of things are just the most basic of basics. And I get really annoyed a lot of times when I just hear hockey people talking about the start. Like, got to have a start, got to have a start. Well, it's imperative that they come out and at least challenge Colorado early on. You don't have to take an early lead, but you can't get you can't get circles skated around you. You can't get knocked off every puck. You can't get, you know, you're like stuck in your defensive zone. You've got to be competitive. You've got to compete for every single puck, every single possession. You've got to come out start strong for, for sure. So that's a big one. Um, I think neutralizing stars is going to be a huge challenge tonight as well. The first line of Colorado is so good. One of the most potent uh, combinations in the entire league. Uh, the Golden Knights had zero answer for that line in game one. Uh, which it w- they were dominant, eight points, but even more so than that, it was just creating chances. It was flying up and down the ice. It was creating havoc and just putting the Golden Knights on their back foot. So you've got to find an answer for that second line, or excuse me, for the first line. And then even more importantly, I think, uh, Kale McCarr was so good uh, on the blue line for Colorado. Uh, he started almost everything that they wanted to do offensively. He had three assists, and he scored a goal late in the game. He was involved in everything that they did that was successful. Like they've got to find a way to take him off the puck. Remember what the uh, what the excuse me, I, I was thinking the Blues. Remember the Wild did to Shea Theodore in that first round. They completely neutralized him, especially in the offensive zone. Uh, they didn't let him, you know, just sit there at the point and fire shots away and, and get pucks to the net. Uh, that's not necessarily all McCarr does. Like they can't let him get you know ahead of steam going. They can't let him create plays from. Uh, his offensive zone and get transition going the other way. Like they've they've got to play him all up and down the ice and, and get in front of him like the Wild did to Shea Theodore and not let him get anything going. That'll be huge. And then the other one is just like skating. Like it sounds so basic, but but I can't tell you how many times the Golden Knights just fell down. Like William Carlson fell down and it led to a goal where yeah. he fell, he got up, his skates were facing the wrong way, he couldn't backpedal. Like it was just, it was a mess, and that was happening far too often. It's not, you know, it's funny. One. It sound, it sounds stupid, because we take for granted what they do on the skates. Yeah, 
You know, yeah, like you, never, you never see, you never see guys or rarely see guys make mistakes, but, but it is an amazing skill, you know, that they're performing. And sometimes some nights it just ain't there. Do you know how hard it is to skate? Even if you're not playing hockey, it's a really hard thing to do. Now, of course they're NHL players, but like there's certain things like you can't, yeah. like you can't just go in a certain direction. Like you fall down and you've got to get up and have your skates going the right way to get out to make that play. Like that's a, that's a basic thing that they're very good at doing, and they make it look easy, but it's not. And and it was so noticeable on Sunday when they were having issues skating. They were, I mean, I think it was fatigue. I think it was a lot of factors that went into it. I think it was the Avalanche just being so fast that they just got spun around and fell to the ground. Like it, it a lot of it looked like uh, the Tasmanian Devil skating around them, and then them just spinning and having no, nothing, you know, no answer for it. So. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be returning to basics, get off to a fast start, skate well, and uh, and make sure you, you contain some of the stars of Colorado because you didn't do any of those things in game one. You know, as we set up this game, too, between these teams who are arguably, you know, top three or four teams in the entire league, are you thrown off a bit that the peg is facing Montreal in the same round? What, that they because they're so far behind in points that they probably should have played somebody else. You get my point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird. Uh, we we knew this was coming into the season. I mean, the top two point total teams in the entire league are playing each other in the second round, uh, a same second round where two teams that have dreadful point totals are playing each other. Like we've seen in the NBA, right, with the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. But this is silly, and it was done because of protocols, and it's a good thing it was done, by the way, because we're still at a point where Canada can't really travel. They've just got a couple of fans sporadically here and there. Um, it's probably good that they were they were staying in their own division so they don't have to leave and further complicate a lot of these issues. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of silly that two of the worst teams in the playoffs are playing each other here in the second round while two of the best teams are also playing each other, and one of them has to go home. Yeah, right now that game is 3-1 at the end of one. Montreal is on top. Of the Jets. So a 7 o'clock puck drop. It's coming up on our sister station, the official home of Vegas Golden Knights Hockey. That's Fox Sports Las Vegas. When we come back, we're going to go into the grab bag, but it'll be a Raider-centric grab bag as we'll find out from Adam what was going on at Raiders camp today, who showed up, who didn't. And also Henry Ruggs was a big media star of the discussion today. And I saw something that was kind of alarming in terms of setting expectations. We're still doing some of the same stuff on the expectation front for Ruggs that we were doing last year. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company Late Night Pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Take your hand in there, Dave. All right, Adam, let's talk about OTAs today. Uh, pretty good turnout, right, at least on the field, and there may have been a few more players inside. Uh, I was reading about uh, 75 uh, folks were out there. Uh, my count was 77, so right around there, yeah. Okay. A little little less than last week, but a pretty good turnout for uh, voluntary OTAs. All right, well, Ruggs was uh, featured after the practice, and you guys got to talk to him. Ari, fire this from Henry Ruggs. Uh, of course I'm ready to assume a bigger role. I mean, last year it was – for me to describe it, it was a start. 
uh, and that that's pretty much the best way I can describe it. It's something to build on, it's a starting point, and we're just going to build from there. And of course, like I said, ready for, you know, take on a bigger role and help my team in a, in a bigger way. All right. Uh, I saw Hunter Renfro talking about rugs. Are we going to go through another year of, hey, don't worry about rugs numbers? As Renfro said, quote, he opened up the field for everyone else. You can't put stats on that. He's a great player. We're not doing that again this year, right? Well, we are certainly if Julio Jones is the number one receiver. Okay, that could change things. <laughs> yeah, That could change things. But, yeah. uh, I mean, the expectations are a lot higher than, hey, you know, he helped out everyone else. I mean, come on. We're talking about a top 15 pick here in the NFL draft. This year it has got to be a graduation up to, you know, the, you don't have to put an exact number out there, but, you know, 50 catches, 800 yards, and seven touchdowns, something like that, rather than just a guy who's helping – Waller get open and other receivers, whoever, you know, pops up as this year's Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want to see him put productivity uh, onto the stat sheet uh, in, in order to take that next step and, and be a better player and be the player that you drafted uh, as the first receiver in one of the deepest wide receiver classes the NFL draft has ever seen. And by, by the uh, way, Adam, my, my numbers are muted. I mean, the ideal situation would be Justin Jefferson and Ruggs goes for 1,407 touchdowns. Yeah. Yes, I would think so. Like that's that's what you want to see. And the opportunity should be there with, you know, Nelson Aguilar having moved on. Now you did bring in, you know, guys like John Brown and Willie Sneed that could take some of those numbers. But, you know, those Nelson Aguilar numbers are up for grabs and those should be Henry Ruggs numbers. But I, I do want to point out, I mean, we've kind of you know mocked a little bit the, you know, Henry Ruggs opens the field for other guys. Well, first of all, any reception that Ruggs takes away from Darren Waller is probably bad. Uh, like you want to give Darren Waller as many as, as many looks as you possibly can, uh, but like the numbers do back it up. And you know we've talked to the Pro Football Focus guys who have raved about Henry Ruggs and the fact that he does open up the field for others. Uh, the numbers I was looking at today bear that out. I mean I think uh, Derek Carr's uh, uh, yards per attempt was about a half a yard higher with Ruggs on the field than off the field, which is the biggest discrepancy of any Raiders receiver. Uh, so, I mean, the numbers do bear it out that that he opens things up for other guys. But, yes, you're not drafting a guy that high to be a decoy. Like, that's not supposed to be his job, and that kind of is what he was at times last year. Raiders at camp again today. Is it – what is the scene like when every single defensive back is out there? There's like 18 on the roster, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of them, and that's, that's actually it's such a, it's so crazy, but it's necessary, and I, I love it. I love what the Raiders have done here because the uh, you know as I joke, some parts of Raider Nation uh, are like, hey, just you know, let's not bring in new people. There's nothing wrong with this team. There's no problem. Like, <laughs> stop with the status quo nation. All right, they, they do need changes. They do need competition, and yeah, Damon Arnett deserves a chance to compete for the starting cornerback spot. He was a 19th pick in the draft last year, but it didn't work out. He was hurt. So guess what? Here come the vets and Rasul Douglas and Casey Hayward are there and it's going to be a competition. Yeah, that's what you always want. Actually, Hunter Renfro talked about that um, a lot today in terms of the wide receiver room, but it applies to every position. What he said is the best teams he's ever been on, which, by the way, he's talking about Clemson. Uh, he said the best teams he's ever been on uh, were loaded at every position where the the practice battles are harder than anything else. Like the the fight to get playing time is harder than actually – you know, getting on the field and, and putting it on the, you know, on display in a game. So that's what you want to see. You want that kind of competition because that kind of competition, you know, sharpens everybody and the guys that survive it and play are going to be that much better for it. So 
it's good to have that many guys out there competing and trying to you know trying to fight for spots. Uh, you hope that they you know have spots available and that they haven't made up their mind on everybody yet, and these guys actually are fighting for playing time and starting positions and roster spots and everything else. And you want to continue to monitor that. I will say that they are the farthest away from us in terms of where we stand on the practice field. Uh, so we maybe get to see you know the least of them. But as you get more and more, you know, closer to you know, minicamp is in a couple of weeks and you'll see a lot more in training camp, obviously, you see a lot more of those guys. But, yeah, I think what you want to see is a lot of guys who are really good and make themselves better. By, by the way, real quick, going back to Ruggs, sorry, the uh, we could have talked about him at 430 if I was here in the fat pack. Uh, not that he's fat. He's certainly not at all. Uh, but he did definitely gain some weight this offseason. And he said he's eating constantly, which sounds like a dream. <laughs> Yeah, so I noticed. Uh, I you know I do not remember what he weighed last year. I noticed uh, one bio had him listed at like one ninety uh, in that goofy race that you hated so much, uh, where he was going against Michael Hardman. And the reason I noticed that Rugs was one ninety is that Hardman's like one thirty five. Like he is, he's he's like one sixty eight. He's a slight guy. I feel like Rugs played at one seventy seven last year, but that's totally off the top of my head, which is ridiculous to just make a guess at something like that. But I, th- yeah, I, I mean, one, one one story I'm looking at today has him listed at uh, 185. Okay. But he he looks. No, no, bigger. check check that. No, check that. No, wrong, 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 wrong. I was uh, I was already looking at. I had a question for you on uh, on Hunter Renfro. I was trying to you know give myself a little reminder. No, no, I don't have. I don't actually don't have his his uh, his weight in front of me. But like I said, he was listed at I think 189 a couple weeks ago in that race on, on Renfro. Uh, did Renfro talk about the fact that? Um, you know, like you just mentioned, there's competition in in that group. How do you think that whole thing is going to shape out? The wide receiver sure. position. Well, I mean, obviously a couple guys are, are there and they're locked in. Um, and I think the veterans are going to be, you know, part of that spot. I, I think guys like, you know, Keelan Doss, who've been there for a couple of years, are looking around and saying, where's my spot uh, on the team? Like, that's going to be a battle like it has been for him all along. Uh, but, you know, Zay Jones, I think, takes a step forward. I, I like what he can do and what he brings. Ruggs and Renfro. Uh, John Brown certainly has his kind of spot locked in. And I think Willie Sneed is a guy that they brought in and they really like. And that's that's five, you know, kind of veteran guys there. If you count Ruggs and Renfro now coming back as veterans, like that's a pretty good group. And then you, you've you got those outside guys like Aitman or Brian Edwards is in there too. What am I saying? So that's six. Um, it's going to be tough for anybody else to crack the roster. I mean, that's a pretty good look, unless you know, unless Willie Sneed is not you know ready to play, and, and they don't they don't love him uh, as a wide receiver. Maybe that spot opens up. But I mean, you've got six pretty established guys there uh, to go into the season with, which I think they're pretty they're going to be pretty happy with that wide receiver core. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Wow, not a shocker today, but you know, a little surprising. Mike Shashevsky, moving on, Adam, one of your favorite guys. Uh, did you see the Coach K on Coach K crime today? Oh, no. Uh, first of all, why can't he just leave now? What are you doing this retirement tour, tour for, you he, jerk? You know what he's doing. Uh, Ian O'Connor said that Coach K started talking with the family about about this about a month ago. Some thought was given to coaching out um, most of the season, then announcing it. Not everyone was in favor of the retirement tour, but – Kay felt he couldn't recruit the next class in good faith while knowing he was gone. So it's all for the players. It's all for the players. I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, by the way, do you, before we even get into more Coach K, did, do you think that it's coincidence that Brad Stevens is done today at, with the Celtics? 
What do you mean? Brad Stevens is the coach at Duke. Uh, John Shire is the coach in waiting. It's already been established. Stop. Really? They're not. They're not allowing that to happen. All right, we'll see. I think they stay in the family. I think this is the guy who's been anointed by Coach K. He's doing the hiring. No one else has say. It's it's him. Okay. I I mean I know that that's been the plan. Right. But I think I think Duke looks around and says, "Are we sure this is the this is the per- like he's the one that's taking the torch? Are we sure that he's ready for this?" Stick your hand in there, Dave. Coach K on Coach K crime. It starts today on the internets. Bram Weinstein, who is in uh, D.C. now, he's the voice of a football team, right? Uh, He tweeted out, is Coach K the greatest American sports coach of all time? And if not, who would you rank ahead of him? Someone responded, is this a joke? (laughs) That was Coach K. Right. Doug Kazarian. Coach Kazarian. Coach Kazarian, who if you follow Doug – on ESPN, Adam's good buddy, uh, always has questions about coaches. Like, while some of us will question coaching, Doug is completely out of control and also completely out of his element. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, Bram Weinstein then responded, uh, all-time winning as college basketball coach, who was part of the staff of five Olympic gold medal teams, won five national titles, been to ten more Final Fours, isn't worthy of this discussion. Okay. Hmm. He is worthy of discussion. I know you don't sure. like him. I know well, you don't I, like maybe the way he did it. I think yeah. most importantly, you don't like the way he's been covered, that right. it's been kind of St. Mike, you know, which is funny because I asked Joe Esposito, our resident coach on the show earlier, like three hours ago about Coach K, and I was like, hey, what's the one thing that everyone talks about with Coach K, like what he's given to the game or the way he ran a program? Like, hey, K contributed this. And Joe, without hesitation, is like, well, he cursed a lot. I was like, wait, that's the, that's the thing? Okay. I love, I love Coach Joe. I know you do because uh, you because you agree with him. No, because that's the least of my concerns with Shashevsky. Right, 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 right. Like I'm not going to make him the number one coach because I don't believe. Like, okay, how do you feel about the Astros? Are they the great one of the greatest teams of all time when they no, made that you're run? Not, you're not going to please do not connect the Astros and what they did. Of course, and I will. what Duke did. Why? Of course, I will. Because why is it okay? For them, like they're, it's the shame of all time that they that they cheated to win a World Series. Well, aren't they just aren't they just doing the same thing that Duke did in basketball? Allegedly, in my opinion, you know, just figure out a way to allegedly, do it. Allegedly, in my opinion. Else. All right, yeah. Adam, let, let me do this for you. Let me read you. This was an interesting uh, all-time college basketball coach list put out by of all guys, Gil Brandt, you know, legendary football guy. But he's you know he's a big big sports fan. Uh, Gil. He goes off the top of my head. See so you, you when you when you hear this, you're like, oh yep, did it the right way. John Wooden first. Okay. Bobby Knight, Coach K, Dean Smith, then Adolph Rupp, Roy Williams, Jim Bayheim, Jim Calhoun, Al McGuire, and Tark. Jim Bayheim. Yeah, Bayheim ahead of Tark and Al McGuire okay. ahead of Tark. But on that, but I just read you the list. You're going to get outraged because of Coach K that Duke did what everyone else was doing? Yeah. Yes. No, because I don't, I, like I, like I, don't I said at the beginning of this, you're annoyed with the way he was covered, not because sure. of what he did. No, but I don't think I'll put any – I mean, listen, I've said before, and yes, I'm biased on this. I know. 
there is zero chance on any planet that Krzyzewski is a better coach than Beheim, or excuse me, Beheim, than John Beeline. Like, there's no, there's no planet on which Krzyzewski is a better coach than him. Like, did he have more success? Sure. But who's a bit like the next time Duke runs an inbound play will be the first. You and Miss You and Mr. Clean. Your love affair with Mr. Clean. Yes. Do it the right way. How, by the way, how come you didn't pick Coach Brad? Coach Brad is amazing. <laughs> He's great too. And I think he was I, I feel like he was probably clean. But again, you, it's kind of co- like this yeah. it's kind of like the steroid era in baseball. Like you know, you pretty much just put everybody into the same box except for Beeline. Uh, but you put everybody in the same box because you just don't know. But I, you know, I do have very strong opinions that certain people were more corrupt than others. All right. The Sportsbook mobile account is open. What am I betting on the Golden Knights game tonight? I'm a degenerate gambler. I got to have action. Oof. It's down. It's down five cents. It's now Avs 185, Knights back at plus 165. I can go over under the total of five and a half at minus 110. Can you get a prop that the game goes to overtime? I feel like it goes to overtime, and I don't know really? what happens from there, but I think Colorado wins in overtime. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll try to do something along those lines Yeah. Uh, in game. All right, Adam. We appreciate it. We'll check in with Adam. Again, get more from Raiders camp. Enjoy the game. Flip over right now. Lead up to the game on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. And thanks to Battleborn Injury Lawyers for housing us in their beautiful studios today.